those up. Couldn't think of anything else creative. Somebody asked me, why do I like doing book series? And it's because I'm not that creative. Because uh, then I just go and the text says what the text says. And if you don't like it, I don't know. Uh, all right, Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, what then will we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing to come from the person whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are the, those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Covered, Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he has received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the, fi in the, footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham he had while still uncircumcised. The word of the Lord. Did you ever think you'd hear somebody say circumcised that many times? Do you know how hard it is to say circumcised? That's a lot of syllables. It's hot in here. All right, briefly, we'll talk about circumcision. And I mean briefly. Just a, I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to need a second. Hold on. Cheers. Okay, circumcision. Uh, circumcision was given to the people of Israel as a sign. Uh, we go back to Genesis, and what's talking about here is Abraham had faith, and then because he had faith, God gave them the sign of circumcision. Uh, Abraham was, uh, I forget about how old, about 90 years old at the time, uh, and he tells, uh, God tells him, go back to your people, circumcise everybody, all the men, obviously. Um, clar clarifying. And, uh, you know, and everybody in his house really good people because they were like, okay, that's what God said. Uh, and they had that sign of circumcision as a seal. And that continued all the way to this day for Jewish people. Uh, so that's circumcision. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, what I want to get into is uh, really to ask a question. And what's the greatest gift you have ever gotten? I mean, when you think about like, I, don't, I know we say the greatest gift. And it's like asking somebody what their favorite movie is. There's usually a list. So I don't have like a single greatest gift or a single best gift ever. I've got a few top ones. One of them is a, a note that our middle son Marcus wrote when he was in uh, elementary school. He had to write a note on who uh, his hero was, who somebody he wanted to be like, and he chose to write it on me. Now I get it. As a dad, this has to make the top of my list. Right? All of his dads know that goes at the top of the list. But the thing is, is Marcus is not mine by birth. He has a dad who loves him very much. So for Marcus to write this note on me being a hero in his life impacted me greatly. It was and is one of the best gifts I've ever received. Because a gift can change you. Uh, a gift can change a relationship. 
A gift can, can change the way you interact with somebody. And a gift can be all sorts of things. It can be a note from somebody, a car, a house, money, a card, a shirt. A gift can be all sorts of things, but a good gift will really change a relationship. And what we're reading about in this section of Romans is a gift that was given. And really it's two gifts, one that's stated and one that's implied. The first gift, the one that's implied, is faith. Because faith itself is a gift from God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone not to that you... I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Every person who has faith has a gift from God. The gift to trust God in the first place is a gift from him. What we do is we, we take the gift that he gives us and then we place it in him. Right? We don't just wake up one morning and say, oh, today I choose to trust Jesus because he was such a swell guy. We don't do that. That's moral atonement. That's the uh, moral influence atone theory of atonement, right? That just because we saw the great example, we can do it. But that's not what we find in Scripture. And so we find that God gives us a gift and then asks us what we're going to do with it. It's kind of like if someone were to say, hey, I'm going to give you a car and a job. You've been given two gifts. The first gift that you're given gives you access to the second gift. So God gives Abraham the gift of faith. <clears throat> and then God counts Abraham righteous because he uses the gift of faith that he was given. God says, I see that you're using the gift I've given you. I see that you're expressing it. I see that you're, you're using it to place your trust in me, so now I'm going to give you a second gift. And the second gift is that you're right with me. That's what righteousness is, is that we're right with God. And that's a gift. Now, we read this, and I think sometimes we think, well, shouldn't have Abraham believed God anyway? I mean, didn't he read his Bible? Didn't he know how this works? Like, Abraham should have just believed God. But that's why this is an amazing story. God gives Abraham faith, and then he gives him righteousness because he uses his faith, and that's a huge deal. But to understand why this is such a big deal, when, when the, the, the readers of Romans, especially the Jewish ones, were reading this, they understood. Like as Paul was using this example, they went, oh, I get that. That makes perfect sense. But for us, we're a bit separated. So we've got to back up in the story. And I mean, we've got to back way up. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, his daughter-in-law Sari, um, his son's his son, Abraham's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they got to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land which I will show you. Abraham, or Abram as he was known at the time, lived in this land called Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. If you've read the book of Job, that's where it takes place. And they leave, and they move to Haran. Supposed to be going to Canaan, which is a whole nother topic, but they're supposed to be going to Canaan and they stop short. Now, that distance is like going, it's a southeast, uh, no, sorry, southern Iraq to northwest Turkey. It's about 650 miles, right? 650 miles, you travel all this land. For us, that's going to Galveston. That's where they go. And then his father dies. And God calls to Abraham and says, come to the land in Canaan. That's another 550 miles. Again, it's a great distance. 
but a lot changed in that distance because they crossed a border. Haran and Ur are both in Mesopotamia. This change was huge because customs change in a different place. Right? Each land has its own rules, custom laws, and most importantly, gods. Has anybody ever been out of the country? Have you ever been out of the country to a European country? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. It looks really similar, but it is very different. That's what's happening here. As God calls Abraham to this other land, and in this other land, it had their own gods because gods didn't travel. The, the understanding people had was gods were territorial. So Ur, they had their, uh, in, in Mesopotamia, they had their gods. One of their chief gods was the, the moon god, where the, the Islamic people get the crescent from anyway. Right? So all that's, that's the god that he knows. Gods don't travel. First Kings chapter 20, verse 23 says, Now the king of Aram's servants, this is Aram, different guy later on, said to his servants said to him, Their gods are the gods of the hill country. That's why they're stronger than we were. Instead, we should fight them on the plain, and we will certainly be stronger than them. This is much later, but it helps us understand gods don't travel. If, if you're living over here in Amarillo, you got your gods. You move down to Lubbock, you got a whole other set of gods, and those gods stay where they're at. What is amazing in this story is not just that Abraham trusted this god. What's first amazing is that this god crossed that borderline and came to Abraham. And he said, follow me. That's amazing. And that's the context of what we're reading here in this call of Abraham, is, is, is in that Abraham was blessed with the gift of righteousness because God called him and Abraham didn't have to listen. Abraham already had his gods. Abraham already had everything he needed. But instead we read four amazing things in this call. The first is just that he calls Abraham in the first place and Abraham responds. This is amazing. Right? Uh, good example. Kids. Your kids listen to you. Right? Like even when they're little, they, I, I say listen. They hear your voice. Okay? Let me put it that way. They might not respond, but they know your voice. Right? So when mom says, don't touch that. They might touch it, but they know. They heard mom say, don't touch that, and that's my mom. Dad says, knock it off. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they heard dad's voice. That's the important thing, right? I was uh, hanging out with some people yesterday, and they got these two little kids, uh, little, little, actually, and uh, they were, like, climbing upstairs, and I was like, hey, get down. Don't do that. Don't touch that. They weren't listening to me at all. Why? Because they don't know my voice. Abraham didn't know this God's voice, but he chose to trust him and listen. That's amazing. Second and third and fourth thing is that Abraham, uh, God tells Abraham to leave your land, leave your relatives, and leave your father's house. Abraham is called to leave all of the things that give him identity. He's called to leave what he knows and trust that Yahweh will lead him into something new. He's called to, 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 to trust that this new God is real and he's leading him into something new. He is call, he, he, God calls Abraham to leave what he knows because what he knows can only take him to where he knows. Later on, we read that, oh, I'm jumping ahead, sorry. Um, here's the thing. Sometimes God calls us to leave what we know. 
He calls us to, to, to leave the things that we understand, the things that give us identity, because those things are stopping us from doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes we've been doing the same thing for so long and getting the same result and bashing our head against the same walls that we need a new way of thinking in. Jesus understood this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, No one patches an old garment on unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins will burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. When God is doing a new thing, it requires new wineskins. It requires a new way of thinking. It requires that, that, that things change, but we're, as people, we're, we're very hesitant and resistant to that because we like the familiar. We like the old. We like what we know. We like what, we, we, what has worked. We like what even hasn't worked because at least we know it. Even if, like we've probably talked about this before, even if you have a job and you don't like that job, you at least know it, so you stay there. You can have a group of friends that are bad influences around you, and you might not like them. You know that they're a bad influence, but at least you know them. When God's calling us to something new, though, so often it requires that we leave the thing we know, the thing that gives us identity, the thing that we can put a stake in and say, well, this, this, this at least tells me who I am. And God says, that's not what I want for you. What I want for you is for me to give you identity. What I want is for you to trust that I can tell you who you are. That's what Abraham was doing. That's what makes this story so amazing. When we understand that Abraham didn't have to listen to this God, and this God didn't have to cross the border into this land, and then Abraham didn't have to leave his father, his land, and his country, his relatives. He didn't have to do any of this because he, he knew what he knew. But again, that's only going to take him to where he knows. Faith makes it so that we can walk into things that we don't know. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place where he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. This is one of those verses in my life that when I read it, uh, you get those verses, you read it, and there's this feeling in the pit of your stomach, and you're like, oh, Jesus. Not like in a bad way, like, Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, God, what? No, not again. What are you doing to me, Lord? This is one of those verses. Every time I read it, God does something. And so this time I thought I was safe because it was Saturday night. And I'm like, okay, going to church tomorrow. God hasn't done anything weird. Thank you. And then my wife calls me. She's down in Dallas at the If Gathering. She calls me and she says, hey, I need to talk to you. So we start talking about something. And I was like, Lord, I knew you were going to do it again. Now, I can't tell you what it is yet. It'll come out soon enough. But again, the the the, the point is that Abra or God... Uh, God called Abraham, and Abraham followed even though he didn't know where he was going. That's faith. That's what we're supposed to take away from this story, is that we're supposed to have faith like Abraham. 
faith to trust that if God says go here, we go there. That if God is calling, that God is leading. And it might require that you leave your relatives. It might require that you leave your land. It might require that you leave your father's house. But if God is calling you, God is leading you. God gives us the gift of faith. We exercise that faith in him, and he gives us the gift of righteousness. And then when we get the gift of righteousness, we get God with us. It's a series of dominoes that we follow. We start to trust him, and then we start to believe him, and then we start to know that he's going to lead us into the right things. And then you reach a point in your relationship with God where he knows he can trust you with things. I know so many of you know what I'm talking about, where you just know that if God were to say, hey, this is what I need you to do. April, I need you to do this. That she knows that she's got this settling within her that, okay. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it fun sometimes, but it makes it worth it. Because it can be scary, it can be costly, and it can be hard, but it is always worth it. The promise is not that everything's going to work out the way we want or expect. The promise is that God is with us. And I think, oh, I'm going to jump ahead again. I'm going to stop myself. The gift is the gift of faith and the gift of righteousness. And then we get God with us. And it's by faith that we receive all of this. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You've read the book of James. See, there's like five of us. Book of James. We're like, oh, no, I know what James says. For those of you who do not know and think that this is simple, let me tell you what James says. James chapter 2, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's hard. Because we've just been talking and Paul's been talking about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's nothing that we earn. It is a gift. It's nothing that we work for. It's something that we receive. So what do we do with this? Some people have chosen to just throw the book of James out. Like honestly, there are, there are Bibles that exist out there without the book of James in it. Because they're like, I don't know what to do with that. Just take that out. Here's the problem that you start taking that out. What else do you remove? You start picking and choosing what you like and what you don't like from the word of God. You start, you start deciding for yourself what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. You start choosing what's good and what's bad in the word of God. And all of a sudden, you're left with probably five or six pages that all talk about just how great you are. What we do with it is we understand that James and Paul are talking about the same thing. Paul says, Galatians 3.24, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. So we, we understand that they're building off of each other, that together these two things make sense because James already answers this question in 2.18. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our works are done from a place of love. Our works are done from a place of being in relationship. We work because we have love. We've said it before, and we'll continue to say it. Love is our motivation. We love because God loves us. And then when we love him, we see him. Kierkegaard says, for the one who loves God without faith reflects on himself, while the person who loves God in faith reflects on God. Your faith and your love need to match, and when they do, all of a sudden, a work is produced. 
And it's like in a relationship, like with, with our spouses or with our kids or whatever it might be, whatever relationship you want to put in there, you don't work to make the relationship. You have the relationship, so you do things because you have it. Right? You, 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 you serve and you love, or you serve in love because you have the relationship and you want the relationship to be all that it can be. So you do things out of love, not, not to get it, but because you have it. So we serve in love, we act in love, we give in love, we, we work in love. The relationship, especially with God, is a gift that he gives to us, and then we do things because we have this gift. But when we get it twisted, and all of a sudden that the work becomes the important things, we end up with two great errors. The first error is transactional Christianity. This is a, this is a big one. This is the idea that, and it's so often subconscious, that if I do things, God owes me. We think because we tithe or because we serve in kids or because we go on a missions trip or because we, we do foster care or whatever it might be that God owes me. And we might think of it in a big way or just even in some little ways, you know, just, Jesus, just a little something for the effort. Jesus, just, just a little something like no, no sickness should come anywhere near me because I'm one of yours. Jesus, I do the things I'm supposed to do, so you can't let anything bad happen to me. And then when something bad does happen, our faith, our, our entire world gets shocked and broken because we've set up terms that were never meant to be set. We get mad at God and we say, God, how could you do this to me? I'm one of yours. Only good things are supposed to happen to me. But the problem is twofold. One, we're not owed anything. And two, we're short-sighted. One of the greatest problems with the human condition is we're very short-sighted. There's a man and his son, and they have this farm, and they've got a horse that helps work the ground because it's hard to work the ground. And one day the horse runs off, and the father or the son goes to the father, and he tells the father, Dad, the horse ran away. I can't work the ground. We're going to lose everything. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And the father tells the son, maybe it's bad, maybe it's good, who knows. About a week later, the horse comes back, and it brings like 12 wild horses with it. And the son's going crazy. He's rejoicing. He's like, Dad, this is amazing. We're going to be so rich. This is the best thing that has ever happened. And Dad says, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Who can tell? A couple weeks later, the son's trying to break in one of the horses, and it kicks him in the leg, shatters his leg. He's laying in the, in the bed, and he's just crying, and he's weeping. He's like, Dad, what are we going to do? I can't work. You can't work. We're going to lose everything. This is horrible. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And Dad says, maybe it's bad. Maybe it's good. Who can tell? But a week later, the local warlord comes into town. And he says, give us your son. We're going off to battle, and he has to fight for us. And the father says, I would, but he's broken. He's laying in bed. He can't even stand up. He's injured. He's, he can't fight. We have this idea that everything that happens, every situation is good or bad. And we determine whether or not God is good or bad on whether or not we like or dislike that particular situation. But the problem is that we're short-sighted. And so often, God is doing things that are way beyond our comprehension. Sometimes he's doing things that are not for us at all. Like he promises that good will come and work out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But it doesn't say today. It might be for my kids, not for me. And I have to be okay with that because I trust that he's good. 
I don't judge every situation. I shouldn't, I should say, every situation on how, it, or how God is based on every individual situation. Instead, I trust that he's good and he'll work it out. Now, error number two, and we're going to close with this, is, is, is really closely tied to error number one. And this is a works-based mindset. This is the idea that um, I have to do things to make God love me. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. Anybody else a doer? Like, you just get stuff done. That's right. People who procrastinate, you could go to jail. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd enjoy it, okay? You ain't got to do nothing. I'm a doer. I got stuff to do. I will find something to do. I had such a nice, relaxing weekend planned because my wife's away and my daughter's sick, so she's in her bedroom. I've been so busy this weekend, it's ridiculous. I'm a doer. I will find things to do. The problem is, is all of a sudden I start to apply that to my relationship with Jesus. And I start to feel like I've got to do things to make him love me. That I got in on grace. I got in on faith. I got in on those things. Like it was originally, yeah, you let me in, Jesus. But now, now I've got to make this happen. I'm the captain of the ship. I'll make sure that this relationship stays steady. And then I start to do things, and then I get frustrated because things aren't going the way I want. Or I get frustrated because I'm exhausted. Jesus, why are you making me do so much? And he's like, I told you to rest. All this is you. The problem is, is on our best day, and I mean your best day, like you think back to your best day, when you were being the, the, the best parent in the world, your kids were happy and shiny and clean. Days where like, you know, maybe you were on a missions trip and like you were seeing, like every prayer you were praying, God was answering. You're laying hands on the sick, you're seeing the dead come to life, all these things on your best day ever. And on that day when you're on your knee, begging God for forgiveness because you did it again. He loves you the exact same on both days. We do not make him love us more and we cannot make him love us less. The problem with a works-based mindset is we forget that 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. It's all because of the gift that he has given us. And then when we walk out that gift in faith, when we take the faith that he gives us, and I believe God gives it to everybody, but not everybody uses it. When we, when we take the gift of faith that God gives us and we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take this gift that you've given me. I'm going to give it back to you and I'm going to trust you. He makes us right with him. Abraham becomes our father. We don't need a sign. We don't need circumcision to seal it. We don't need to do some special thing. We're included. And we just get the gift. That's why this story is so amazing. Because that's what Abraham was doing. So we're going to respond. Ben can come up. And uh, as we go into a time of response, I, I, I just really have one question, and it's it's... It's, uh, it's tied to the, the song that we sang, It Is Well. And my question to in, in the, our response time today is, what is your it? That thing that you need to say, it is well. This sickness, it is well. This, this like Brad was saying, this trial, this temptation, it is well. 
I'm going to choose to trust you. Jesus, I believe that you're giving me faith. I'm going to use it. And then use that faith that he gave you. He's not expecting you to come to him with anything you conjured up yourself. Sometimes faith is just saying it. And I want to encourage us to do that this week. So Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for the gifts that you so richly give us. We deserve nothing. We can't demand anything of you. But you give to us freely. And I thank you for the gift of faith. I thank you for the gift of righteousness. And I thank you that it is wealth. Jesus, as we go into a time of response, let us bring the faith that you gave us back to you. To present it as a gift back to you, Jesus. To say that we trust you.